Nick Walters, welcome to Hemp Barons today. We're so glad to have you. I am tickled slapped to death to be on here with you, Joy. As the world has probably figured out, <clears throat> you are the Wonder Woman of all things hemp. So I don't know where you parked your invisible plane or where your golden lasso is, but I'm quite sure it's close by. Whatever it is, it's made of hemp, and you are so kind, brother. So, so <laughs> kind. Uh, boy, does this plant ever inspire me. And apparently, it has really inspired you and Roger Ford and Larry Tyler and Max Howell and your whole team at National Hemp Growers Cooperative. Now, as I say, hemp is here to teach us how to cooperate with each other. Uh, it really is going to bring and breed by total necessity cooperation. Um, and it really, particularly to deliver on this promise, the promise of hemp and, and Congress liberating this versatile, valuable crop as an agricultural commodity in the broad light of day, re-liberating it so that farmers, entrepreneurs, uh, consumers of all sizes and shapes in the United States would be able to take advantage on the, the hemp opportunity. And we're only going to be able to do that through agriculture cooperatives. So uh, amazing to see a team like yours with such tremendous insight and experience take interest in hemp and bring it forward as a real true cooperative, agricultural cooperative, the way our National Agricultural Law Center uh, sees them to be. Nick, what brought you to hemp? And then let's talk about uh, your partners here and the tremendous amount of experience and skill that you're bringing to these emerging industries. Heck yeah. Well, um, like many of us, we wear several hats when you're in the entrepreneur space. And one of my hats is figuring out how to connect the dots for larger projects that need to be financed, capital intensive projects, you know, in the millions of dollars type of thing. And how do you take government loan grant programs and match them with investment banking, bond finance, or bank loans? And how do you bring all those pieces together? And I, I stumbled into a project that was going on um, in my neighboring state of Alabama. I'm in Mississippi, right? But uh, in our next door, and they were looking at putting in an extraction facility this one group, uh, little did they know that they <laughs> probably didn't need to do that last year. And so they figured out real quick that they didn't need to do it. Um, but as I got into it, I started asking, you know, the type of questions that all banker types, I'm not a lender or a banker, but the same questions they ask, like, how much do you need? Who's your market? How are you getting paid back? And the more I dug into it and tried to figure out the questions about hemp, it just, it looked like the wild, wild west to me as far as what was happening for the grower um, and and who was really watching out for her, watching out for him in a way that they could collaborate and they didn't have to go out and try to figure all this stuff out on their own. And so um, uh, I connected with my, my friend, uh, Roger Ford, who was one of the very first uh, licensees for hemp in the state of Kentucky. And he also had uh, a processor's license at one time. And so Roger and I started having conversation. I said, I really think there's a, there's a need for a national cooperative here. 
So if you grow one acre or a million acres and whatever you are growing for, for whatever reason, you ought to be able to be connected with others and uh, help build your own family's wealth. And, and that was the, the driving force. So the driving force and man, are we ever lucky. And what the listeners don't know about you right now, unless they have uh, checked out the website in advance is what on earth qualifies you to be able to make all of these decisions. Let me tell you listeners, (laughs) Nick was actually appointed by former president uh, Bush as the state director for the USDA's office of rural development in Mississippi rural development with the USDA. So in charge of big money, big projects, and and I'm going to let you, as I finish this little piece of your bio, discuss really, because I think even I, before you and I met and, and started discussing, I think I wasn't fully aware of what rural development is. So when we, we think of USDA and rural development, of course, I was like, wow, you're out there like building tractors and farms. No joy. I was out there building hospitals and, and in invigorating and vitalizing these rural uh, areas so that economic development can actually occur and so that these rural regions can thrive. But I I want folks to know another, there's your, your bio is obviously very, very impressive. The highlights as to why you are the perfect person to be doing this for us, not just your deep experience at the federal level uh, with rural development, but of course you're the first person to receive the designation as development finance certified professional from the national council of development finance agencies. Uh, This is a very big deal that you have this amount of um, experience and for years uh, in in that sector and in nonprofit financing sector. So maybe you could tell us a little bit about what rural development is, sir, and then we'll move on to some of your other partners and what the co-op's vision is and what it's doing. Heck yeah. Well, uh, rural development is the non-farm, non-food part of USDA. And it used to be known as the Farmer's Home Administration. And um, uh, one of my fellow Mississippians, uh, Mike Espy, was Secretary of Agriculture in the Clinton administration. And Secretary Espy kind of restructured everything so that it it, it had more focus in the right area. So we... um, So the the thought process behind uh, rural development is rural communities, if they are solely focused on production agriculture, better have a B plan because there's not enough production agriculture going on to really sustain rural America. And so what does that infrastructure look like? So it can be water and sewer and it can be housing and it can be uh, community facilities, as well as rural businesses, and how the multi-million dollar, you know, loan guarantees and programs like that. So um, it was it was a cool job. It was great to do. You, there's not a lot of opportunities for you to be po- appointed by the president of the United States and then sleep in your own bed, you know. So that was a that was a cool gig uh, for us to do that. And but one of the components of, of rural development uh, is co-op development. Uh, in addition to things like rural electrification and a myriad of other things that RD does, uh, co-op development is a, is a part of that. So I learned way more about co-op development 
uh, even what they were, how they operate, what they do, why they matter in ways that I didn't even, I wasn't even aware that, you know, the Florida citrus growers or ocean spray cranberry juice or, or, you know, Land O'Lakes margarine. I mean, all of those are cooperatives, but also uh, credit unions and, and purchasing cooperatives, right? Uh, my brother-in-law owns an independent office supply company in Middle Tennessee, and he cannot go purchase paperclips at the same way that Staples can or that Office Depot can. And so he, along with all of his other fellow independent uh, office uh, supply store owners, uh, pool their resources together and they're able to buy in bulk and they're able to go purchase things at a lower, you know, at a lower cost. And so it's the same concept of what we are trying to do. I say trying to do, we're doing it. I don't, You're I don't doing it. Right. I don't want to say we fitting to do it. We, we is doing it. Okay. And so we're, um, uh, the whole idea, uh, is how can we be, do the purchasing, right. Of things like health insurance or retirement benefits or, uh, seed or fertilizer or tractors or anything that, that would go directly to that, that grower's bottom line. And then also how can we be a, single turn source for hemp, whether we are whatever that value added process would be that we would be doing with the hemp. And so um, we're not focused on any one particular uh, market and we can get into all of that as much. But of course, we're leading with uh, renewable energy, specifically renewable natural gas. But we can get into we can get into all of that as well, too. So. Well, indeed, Roger Ford, uh, another founder here or, or partner in National Hemp Co-op, although all members will be partners, right? Um, and I, I do want to get into those, uh, the FAQs. And today I just uh, presented at World Ag Expo and led folks right to those FAQs. This is what we're talking about with, with a hemp co-op, with an ag co-op in general, but we need it so desperately in hemp. And Roger Ford, of course, brings with him so much experience uh, in the energy sector um, and, and biofuels. So just what tremendous asset there. And I just, in terms of the, the planetary healing aspects of hemp, which is of course what got me involved in hemp at the young age of 20 years old. Oh my God, in 1990, don't tell anyone. <laughs> you know, energy and fuel is just so where it's at. And we can even get into, you know, wood pellets and charcoal beyond sure. biodiesel gases, ethanol, this type of thing. But uh, really just a, a tremendous team that you have there. Um, let's get into, and you're already doing education and sharing information in any sector is obviously key to cooperation and, and cooperatives, but as it relates to hemp, it is beyond key. It's critical. It's essential. And we have so much bad information out there. So really delivering Real data and information that real farmers can use practically, that's so important. You're already accomplishing that in spades. You've had a full day uh, event already. You're doing these weekly webinars, just so impressive. Um, and I know ideally, it's a sort of list of bullet points of things that your members, um, as they come on board, may democratically decide for the co-op to focus on. Of course, best practices in farming. Again, you're already doing that in 
spades, seed purchase, as you mentioned, crop insurance, selling biomass, marketing crops, drying houses, uh, lab testing, purchasing equipment, farm and project financing, legal representation, health, property, casualty insurance, and retirement benefits. All of these things that when you're large, when you're huge, when you're funded, it's no problem. You've got all the power. It's the little guys and gals and the family farms and the smaller farms um, that deserve to be able to participate in this opportunity and in every opportunity equally in that same way, really leveling the playing field. And that's what cooperation uh, is so much about. Could we get into um, just going through some of your FAQs here and, and talk to us about how it is democratically driven? Who gets to make the decisions in a cooperative? Super great question. So the answer is who gets to make the decisions is whatever everybody decides at the beginning right? <laughs> about, how, about how you put it together. Well, let me say this is <clears throat> most of the cooperative models that you will see, particularly as it relates to an ag-based um, uh, value-added commercialization component, those of us down here in the deep south, right, uh, cotton as an example, a cotton gin very, very often uh, is a cooperative. And so the farmers that are growing that cotton draw a great big circle around where that gin is. And they think about how long does it take me to get my cotton to the gin and have it be ginned out. And, and, and so they then pool their resources and they pool their money and, and they then go purchase that capital expense of the ginning equipment, right? And so they all own part of that, but then there is a contract to go sell that cotton somewhere. Uh, and I just use that as an example, but of course you can go through a myriad of different, you know, it could be pistachio growers. I mean, it doesn't- Cotton's a great example when we're talking about him. Right, but I mean, but cotton is, the, is the, probably the one that you would find more often because unlike other ag-based products or, or like- um, chickens or tobacco or some things like that, many of those are actually contract grown out from a corporate entity that has has contracted with you to raise X number of chickens by Y number of date and get them to the, you know, to the processing facility by whatever point in time. And I just insert myself for one minute. That's a scenario when you correct me if I'm misspeaking here, um, please, Nick. But that's a scenario where essentially the corporation owns the crop. We're not talking livestock for this example, owns the crop from basically seed to the end that the farmer is the corporation kind of owns it at that point. Oh, no, no doubt. Right. They, they've contracted with you just like I would have I'd contract with you to build a house or I'd contract with you to go build a website for me or, or whatever. I mean, ultimately, I'm the guy writing the checks. And if I'm writing the checks, then I then I'm planning on owning uh, and will own whatever is the output at the end of the day. And uh, and uh, disempowered, the farmer could be disempowered because that corporation has so much control over the crop that they're basically going to have to get what that corporation is willing to give them. Yes, it can be that way. If the corporation is that stupid to not pay attention to their grower and don't treat their grower, you know, in, in a fair and, and right way, then yeah, it could. The, the flip side to that is, is that the grower very often, I'm just 
use let's just use chicken producers as an example they you know the 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 chicken grower very likely may not be able to finance the infrastructure that they need to put in but for that contract so if i'm just an independent chicken grower out there and i'm going to go grow my own chickens and then i hope somebody's going to come up and buy my chickens at the end of the day if i don't have some vertical market where i am you know growing local you know farm to table type of thing then i dang well better have a bee plant so that that model works fine in a lot of different places where it doesn't work well is with who we think is one of our target audiences and those are smaller landowners uh, minority landowners who who would like to get to do something with their land and want to make more out of it than like, for example, what we would do here in the Southeast, which is plant it full of pine trees and wait for 20 years, okay, for it to be able to, to for it to be, um, you know, cut down and take taken to a lumber yard. So what what can we do? How can we get in it? And back to your question about the democratically controlled part of the co-op, we have we have two types of co-op members. If I may explain this a little bit, if that's okay. So of course. So there's two type of stockholders. There will be a common stockholder, and there will be a preferred stockholder. A common stockholder is someone who is a producer of hemp. Now, that may be that they're growing for grain. They could be growing for oil. They could be growing for fiber. Who knows? But if they are an active producer, then they would be a common stockholder. That common stockholder has a vote. And that and that vote on behalf of it, we kind of set it up. Kind of like the kind of like the you know the, the founding fathers set up our country right. It's more of a it's a it's a representative democracy, in the sense that you can't run an organization where 843 people are all telling you what to do every day. Okay, that's like a that's like a Baptist church. It, it, it'll drive you nuts. Okay? It sounds like church. torture. It sounds like torture. <laughs> And for a for a people pleaser, you're going to be miserable. It'll be awful. It'll be awful. I'll, I'll have to hope there'll be somebody that will find some CBD product for for um, uh, male pattern baldness by that time because I'll have all my hair pulled out. But um, so what will happen though is is you will then be a part of a state or a regional organization. You will elect delegates that will then go to a national meeting. And at that national meeting, then there will be a board member selected from one of four parts of the country. So the country is going to be divided up into four component pieces. And then um, there will be three board members from each of those four sections. And that makes up a 12 member board. Every year, one person will roll off and somebody new will roll back on. And then from that 12 member board, uh, there will be officers elected from that the that that board will elect, and then that those officers then will be the kind of the executive management committee of a day to day operation of that. So that's the um, that's the, the 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 people that make up the board. So everybody has a vote. Farm Bureau kind of works this way, you know. And so you 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 have a direct say so without any question, but the 
we're not sending out ballots every 15 minutes deciding, you know, you know, what color we're going to, you know, change the logo to or something. Right. So, I mean, we're not, it's not, it's not that kind of a deal, but then there also are preferred stockholders who would be able to purchase into the co-op in order to reap the benefits and the financial benefits of, of, of the, um, revenue that will be generated by the co-op right so in the in, they would be able to get a dividend just like the co-op members the, the common stock members will be able to get a dividend as well too so our organization that you mentioned now uh, uh roger ford and 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 max howell my two partners and i we are we actually are an llc and when the when the document comes out for the organizing document for the to actually do an offering document, which we hope to have done by the fall of this year, then it will say in that um, document that you, they understand that our LLC will be the manager. We will be the management arm under a contract to that to the co-op, which is spelled out super clear right in your FAQs. Yeah, yeah. So we want to make sure everybody understands. But what we'll be doing, we're right in the middle, by the way, of really getting together our first um, uh, renewable natural gas component piece. And I'll talk about that as much as I can and as much as you want to hear about it. But, um, you know, one of those facilities alone, just for the contract we have in our hand, right, as we talk today, for um, bio crude oil. That one facility for bio crude is going to throw off somewhere in the neighborhood of twelve to thirteen million dollars a year, okay, in profit. So every co-op member, whether she's in Montana or some dude in Georgia, okay, they're all going to benefit from the revenue that is generated by every project, not just one project. So back to the cotton gin model, the cotton gin model is fine for those growers that are right there that are producing that cotton and doing value added, but go another hundred miles and there's another cotton gin and that cotton gin is only worried about those producers for the most set. Okay. Our model is, is whether we are buying hemp from you and you happen to be located within the circle of, of where that facility is or not, um, you're still going to get a dividend no matter what value-added um, function that we're, that we're doing. So we want there to be multiple locations throughout the country where we either we are the ones that are doing the value-add or maybe a, a contractor, somebody has contracted with us because they don't want to have to call 15 farmers, okay? They'd rather call one and be able to know that basically put in an order and say, I want this variety of this seed and I want X tons of it by Y date. And then we go back to our members and say, okay, gang, um, who's in? Here's what the price point is. This is how much it's going to be. Uh, who wants in? you know, belly up to the bar boys and tell us which one who wants in and then we'll and then we'll lock you in for that amount. So we don't believe we have to be the ones to go put in the capital expenditure to do the big processing of every facility. Um, I don't think it would bode our members well that way, because there may be somebody in some other part of the world that 
you know, we're not going to go. Why would we go compete with somebody, for example, who might actually be, you know, a, a customer of ours? And so we'll, each one of those things will be will be looked or looked at. Um, back to your question. And I know I'm over answering the question, but no, but, no, but, no, um, please. Back back to the, the, the question then is if you're a common stockholder and you're a, and you own a common share, which means you've got to vote. We don't care whether you're whether you're growing one acre or a thousand acres. So it's not like the big cats are going to be the only ones that are going to be call, making the shots and calling the decisions of what's going on. How much money is in your checking account? How much money you have in an IRA? If you even got an IRA, okay, it doesn't matter to what the to the governance of the co-op. And so everybody will have a say so if you are a common stockholder uh, to actually um, uh, help direct which way and policy of the things that we're going to get involved in and the things that we're not going to get involved in. So to get the pump prime, though, you know, Roger and Max and I don't have time, quite frankly, to go ask 15 people what they think. We've got to. Um, we got to get stuff moving and we got to get stuff going. And so the assets of our LLC at the time we create the co-op, all of those assets <clears throat> will go into the co-op model and the co-op will be a nonprofit. It, it won't be a C3. I'm not exactly sure which one it's going to be. And we've got we've got attorneys that are figuring all that out to make sure exactly which structure. There are some states, by the way, that have better co-op laws than other states and so yes a lot of them in the midwest you know minnesota and wisconsin are much stronger than other places uh around the country just because you know it's just kind of like wyoming and delaware are good places to incorporate right just because they're state laws indeed in fact i'm gonna i won't even call it a shameless plug because he's too wonderful <laughs> like you and that is uh you know my my mentor now i'll date us both um over 25 years michael droke who is just an incredible attorney um who i've worked with through two firms is still my mentor today um and a part of my life uh, on on a really tremendous level um and that is that he is really our nation's foremost business cooperative law attorney so i've got to connect you um for sure because he's you know the encyclopedia when people sort of like joy you're such an encyclopedia now yes my father is is in himself uh, a pretty incredible attorney so it's in my dna but when you are mentored by a top of the line professional um it changes everything and I, i've been really just a, a great beneficiary of his OCD knows everything going on in every state in the area of law that he specializes in. And, and it's so important. Let me ask you, um, as you dot I's and, and cross all of the T's forming yeah. uh, the management company, let's say, let's do an example from a layman's perspective here. And, and sure. the little foundation, as you're well aware of this, but for our listeners and who have not heard it before, we're going to see processing ideally within 50 to 100 uh, square miles radius of, of the hemp biomass feedstock. And so those first movers to bring those processing in, whether it's to process the longest, strongest stock in the world, whether it's to process that beautiful nutrient 
nutrient-dense seed, the grain, uh, and goodness knows, please, we're completely saturated with botanical extraction. So just do not pass go, do not collect $2,000. The country is up to its eyeballs in botanical extraction infrastructure. But in any event, um, so, so uh, and it's obviously it's not going to be so economically viable for a grain farmer in Washington to do business with direct agricultural commodity business with a grain processor in Mississippi. Having said that, they may be a common stockholder, your member in Washington. So, uh, so it sounds like farmers can have two opportunities here, depending on what the needs are for everyone involved. And that is I can either directly sell crops and be a common stock owner and get my dividends, or I get dividends on any project because I'm a common stockholder. Have I misspoken there? You you have not. So there will be some, we hope that every common stockholder will have the opportunity for what I'm calling a double dip. Okay. So we would be purchasing your crop to, to, value add and process in whatever is within, the, let's just call it a hundred miles of, of, of that facility. Okay. So we would expect that you will uh, be paid well for your crop uh, that you would, be, that you know on ahead of time that there's already a contract for that. All right. And the contractor is us, right? A contractor is you, you are basically contracting with yourself. It's not some of these other contracts that we've heard about that are infamously awful, right? That that ended up putting growers on the courthouse steps. You know, we know all those horror stories, and they are horror stories. But um, um, so you then we would we would pay you. You would know that you were growing. We you would contract for a certain amount. You would certainly make money plus a nice profit for that crop. But where your real money is going to be made is the fact of this other grower, this other thing that may be a thousand miles away from you, that is actually having that same process going on. And all of that tithe is coming into the storehouse. Okay. And all of that is coming back in the, in the way of the dividend. So if you are a grain farmer in Washington, to use your, your analogy there, we might then go back in and put in a grain processing facility because we've got a contract or somebody that is going to buy that before we get started. We're not going to go build something and hope that maybe someday somebody will buy it. If we don't have something in our hand, then we don't plan on putting in any infrastructure whatsoever, right? Because that's silly and foolhardy to go do all of that. So, um, so that's one way that you get the first bite at the apple is around you and and the product, the, the, the procedure, the stuff that's going to be built there. Now, look, what's going to be built there, Joy? We may be decorticating in, uh, on a campus right setting. And so maybe we're going to be making biochar uh, with a certain amount of the of the um, of the hemp that's coming in. And then what we're going to do with the herd is we're going to go take that and we're going to go put it into the, put it into the, you know, um, to the gasifier to make our renewable natural gas. Or we may, we may just be doing renewable natural gas there. We're not even doing any decortication. 
don't know, right? Every one of them is going to look different each time. So that's going to be one part of me as a, as a grower to know I can get that. The other thing is, let's say you've already got a contract to grow for seed right now and you're as happy as you can be and the, and the people that you're selling to are as happy as they can be. We don't have any reason to have to come in there and create some competitive uh, a competitor to the to to who you're currently selling to. You may see the value out of not only what your dividend is going to be from these other facilities. You may see the value in doing the life insurance program, or doing the or, or doing the uh, you know uh, uh, the purchasing power. Right? Costco and Sam's are able to buy toilet paper a heck of a lot cheaper. Than most of us, right? Because they buy in bulk. So, and insurance services, and any of the other many services that that Costco is is involved in. This is what cooperation is. That's right. That's right. And so you may not, you as a co-op member, are you've got to figure out what value the co-op brings to you, whether you want to fool with it or not. Okay. If you've already got the world by, you know by a string and everything's going exactly the way you want it to and you're happy with what you're growing and you're tickled to death in what you're doing, you may not feel any reason to join the co-op. And that's no harm, not hurting my feelings. I mean, I'm, that may not be any value. Or you may look at it and go, hmm, you're telling me <laughs> that one biofuels facility over here of, of creating biodiesel is, is, is throwing off, you know, $18 million a year in, in uh, revenue. Yeah, I'd like to get me a little piece of that. I mean, that'd be something I'd like to know I'm getting a part of. So, it, you you may very well want to participate in it. So it, it it will it would be the purchasing part as well as where am I selling my crop to, and 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 how and how am I selling it, and for whom am I doing it? So, the idea behind any co-op, right, is you do together what you could do alone. And if you don't want to do it alone, then do it with other people who are trying to move in that same direction. And if they happen to be, and if they happen to be skilled, integral, experienced, well-networked people, then it, it sort of behooves you. There's power in numbers um, yeah. to get involved. I, I just see it as as such a, not just a no-brainer, but an actual essential critical piece to delivering on this, on this promise. And, you know, when we talk about contracts, it simply cannot be understated. First of all, if you want federal crop insurance, guess what you need to attach as part of your application materials? the contract <laughs> for for your crop um and generally by the way those uh, materials those application materials are due while there's still snow in the ground in in most parts uh you know for for the upcoming season and there has been a lot of um you know and this is where we've gotten the overproduction first of all of course we Farmers, unfortunately, were sold a bill of goods and magic beans from unscrupulous, exploitive folks for the most part, um, you know, and they have overproduced this extract variety hemp, hoping, you know, that there was going to be some buyer at the end of the season. And unfortunately, without even realizing what it, it actually takes to, to dry and, and store the crop to begin with, but so much has rotted in the fields. And I, I love quoting Mark Rinders, who I, I can't wait for you to meet, and at some point you're going to. He's uh, the CEO of Hemp Flax, European hemp 
pioneers, you know full well, and, and the former president of the European Industrial Hemp Association. And he says it in every interview. He says it in every presentation. Don't plant hemp unless you have a harvesting plant or a contract at a processing facility. The total crop valuation only works if the entire infrastructure is in place. Start with your market, then work backward to the crop, but please don't plant any seeds without any planning because you will lose your money. He doesn't say maybe. He doesn't say you might. He says because you will lose your money. (laughs) so completely important and so these these contracts uh they really are everything and the the integrity of the contracts the way they are written um the provisions that are fair to all parties which is what contract law dictates but it's not certainly what we've been seeing particularly as it relates to extract hemp contracts that are fair and tight for everybody involved, uh, contracts that are enforceable, um, and contracts made with integral folks. And so that's, you know, just a, to me, just the hugest, biggest part. Um, And when we're talking about focusing on it, and I love that you'll focus on anything that makes sense for the co-op and the farmers and and that they direct, obviously. Um, But again, the energy sector is just huge. It is completely untapped. And I mean, uh, hemp is really here, I think, to completely transform, not just as we discussed, biodiesel, fuel, gas, methanols, hempanols, as they're calling them pellet charcoal but graphene and supercapacitors and energy and battery storage you know just tremendous really tremendous stuff here um also uh let's talk a little bit about um when we talk about managing the co-op that is going to be the management company which is the llc the national hemp growers cooperative correct correct and so what what will be in that offering document you will see, like if that document was in front of you right now, what you would see is um, whatever that stock price is, and we don't know what the stock price is yet for the common stockholder or what the valuation is going to be for the preferred stockholder, right? So I don't know much, but I know enough to know that's a security and they know this is not an offering statement and there's none, you know, and we'll get to all of that. But what it will say in there is that our LLC has the ability, I mean, we will have a contract for five years from the time that we started to manage the co-op. So the honest is honest, right, is on on our partners to make sure that we are providing good service to our members. And if we get into it and year three or four, the, the members go, man, this guy, Nick is a bozo. You know, we got to, this is, this thing stinks. I mean, they're not doing a good job. They're not being, you know, they're not being, they can fire us. Okay. And and that's something that is the risk that we take uh, putting into that. And so that then means we have got to do a good job of customer service, of internal, making sure everything internally is okay with our members and that externally we are doing the things that we need to do that provides value to our members. So we, Everything that we do, the litmus test is, does this bring wealth to our common stockholder members? That's the, that's the driving litmus test on any of it. So let's just say, I'm just making this up, Joy, but let's just say 
we get a call one day from BMW that says, or, or Mercedes or something, okay, and says, hey, we want a kajillion tons of, of fiber because we're going to put them into our body panels that we're making in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Okay, yeehaw. Well, we're going to go back and do the math on that. And while that sounds great and while we would love to do it, we may figure out, look, we're not going to make any money off of this. Our growers aren't going to make any money. I mean, there's the, the transportation costs are eating us up or the value add of how they need it produced to them. Or we're going to have to sink, you know, even if it is Mercedes, you know, we're not going, we're going to have to sink, you know, $43 million into a processing facility. And we don't, I don't know, but all of that would be a due diligence thing that then would be brought back to that executive committee and say, okay, uh, ladies and gents, here's what we've got. And here's what we're looking at doing and board of directors. Do we pursue or do we not pursue? And, and if we can't, give a recommendation, not a decision by us, a recommendation to that board about what we should do and what we should not do, then shame on us. Then we should never, you know, we should, we ought to be run out on a rail if we came in and thought that it was a great idea when it didn't make any financial sense. So why would a, a grower and sidebar here, we do call this the growers cooperative and not the farmers cooperative because we have a lot of people that would like to be in the agriculture production business, but they have never been in the agriculture production business and they want to get into it and they want to grow. Okay. And, and so we want that person focused in on whatever it is that she does all day, which is getting that crop in and out and ready to go and whatever other 25 jobs that she does to be able to, to make it all go. Why in the world do they need to be on the, you know, looking through, financial statements to try to figure out pro forma models on whether it's going to work or not. Yes. They, I don't mean they ought to just take our word for it, but why would they want to spend all that time doing the due diligence before you tee up something that would be a go, no go. And that's a large part of that is our job is, is our job is to be that trusted portal between this crazy wild, wild world of hemp. Right. And, and, um, and the grower. And, and so we, we, we really think that this model really makes sense. And we think that it makes a lot of sense that ends up helping everybody. And it is a gauntlet out there, this due diligence. So it's not even uh, a farmer, no time B even I am a sophisticated woman. You know, that I am, you put a bunch of financial performers in front of me and I see Greek symbols and weirdness. I am not a math and science person. It literally, I, I don't know how to, how to interpret those things. Other people are experts in that, not this girl. Um, so it's so important. And again, uh, we've seen some hemp co-ops co come and go and they'll be more formed that, uh, yeah will also go, um, but it is just absolutely key to the team that you are working with as we navigate these incredibly promising industries. And as we begin to wrap up in our time here, Nick, and I can't wait to have you on again, and I, I can't wait to get Roger on as well. Um, will you go ahead and tell us a little bit more about this exciting project that you're working on with Renewable Energy? Yes, I will. I will, I will tell you that part of that. And let me do a quick little plug just so that you'll Please. be aware. We expect in this offering document that is coming out uh, this fall to only have 200 members in our first offer. 
Okay. We expect that to grow and we hope it will grow. All right. And we'll expand, but we don't expect to have any more than that. So currently that we have people who have said, Hey, I want a seat at the table, save me a seat. Okay. And if they want to have a seat saved, then, um, uh, that's a, it's a thousand dollars for them to hold a seat. Okay. And we think that that amount is enough to figure out who's serious and who's not, but not such a barrier to entry, right. That you couldn't, that you couldn't get into it. So, um, if that is something folks are interested in, obviously that we can all get connected up and give them the full packet and information about all of that, of what that means. That's not an offering document. That's not a stock. You know, that's not, you're not, all you're doing is saying, hold me a spot. Yep. Um, yes. Let me tell you about um, the, 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 the two component things that we're looking at, right? I say not looking at, we're in the middle of it right now. All right. So the gist of it, and look, you're getting this from a liberal arts major. Okay. So the, you gotta, you gotta be able to, <laughs> to, Roger now will tell you chapter and verse. Okay. About all of it to do, but we, what we're talking about is creating renewable natural gas. So everything that natural gas can do, which can be turned into biodiesel, which can be turned into uh, jet fuel, which can be turned into just natural gas itself to heat your home or, or any other thing to, to turn turbines to make electricity, right? I mean, anything you can think about natural gas, except it's renewable natural gas, which means it did not come from a hole in the ground that came out um, um uh, to be produced, right? So <clears throat> there are there are black boxes, is what I call them, the magic black boxes. And not only am I, I, I can't talk about what's in the black box, but I'd be such a buffoon trying to explain to you what was going on in the black box. But in my simple <laughs> visual of that, stuff comes in to the top of the box and it is biomass. And so it would be anything from Renewal, it would be anything from municipal solid waste, garbage, right? Or it would be um, uh, animal waste, or it would be uh, um, wheat stalks, or, 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 you know, any number of things that you would put into the pot. And, and the pot then goes through a process of decomposing and fast forwarding the decomposition that naturally would occur with that biomass, okay? So you're, it's, it's kind of like a microwave, but it doesn't have heat, but that's about all I'd say about it. But anyway, so we want there to be, quite frankly, Joy, we don't need hemp to be in there to make this work. We want hemp in there to make it work. And the BTUs of, of hemp are really, they can get up into the neighborhood of, of some different, varieties of coal okay so we can just put it into the cooker pot right and and i say cooker we ain't cooking but so then that 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 black box number one creates renewable natural gas and that gas can be wheeled which is the term it can be wheeled in a natural gas pipeline anywhere across the country we hope that it, it and expect that it's going to be wheeled to a sister um facility that is on the same campus as the RNG, Renewable Natural Gas, is the RNG facility. And that in it, that sister facility is going to create some specific thing. For example, um, bio crude oil. 
That's what we have in our hands right now today is a purchase agreement for bio crude oil that is ready as you and I are sitting here chit-chatting for us to go put that in. It's going to, it's going to, to, um, uh, to Europe. Okay. So the other thing that that other black box can do that sister facility, it can create jet fuel or it can create, um, uh, biodiesel, or it could go to a turbine to create, you know, um, electricity with so, or, create a hydrogen battery with. I mean, there's all these really awesome, cool things that you can do with the RNG. So um, I don't mind telling you that about, about the bio crude piece. It's a, it's a, it's a for show real thing. Uh, our next thing though, that we are looking at is biodiesel. And we actually have a series of conference calls that, that, that we will be doing over the next 48 hours to really we believe it's not a technology question and, and we've got license for this technology. Okay. This is not just something you go down to, you know, Walgreens and pull off the shelf. Right. I mean, this technology is super stuff. Um, we've got licenses to this technology that others do not have things that are already in production in Europe right now. Okay. So this is not an R and D. This is not anything trying to, this stuff works. So, um, we hope to have all of that announced no later with the, than the next 60 days. And what that announces doesn't mean that, that we're just doing a project. That means there's somebody ready to buy what we're going to produce. Because remember, we ain't building nothing on a maybe and a what do you reckon? Okay, we're building things that are, I've got a contract in my hand, just like Delta Airlines did a year ago for renewable jet fuel that is being done up in your neck of the woods. There are three or four airports up there. Seattle's one and Portland, and I think maybe, I don't know, maybe Spokane. I don't know. Yeah, that have, have contracted with, with a, a renewable jet fuel company to produce renewable jet fuel. And nobody knows exactly what that amount is, that, but we think it's in the billions with a B and the double digit billions of a B of what that contract is. So guess what, Joy, you don't have to be a finance expert. You could finance a contract with Delta Airlines, right? And you could go out and say, who wants to help me build this? So we, we read the little red hen about four times a week just to make sure that we all remember what that's like to say, who wants to help me bake the bread? I know we're bumping up in our time. I'm sorry, but we get excited about it. And, and, and that's why, the person who's got 50 acres somewhere in the middle of nowhere who might say, well, I can't even get my hemp to, you know, somewhere to produce it. Uh, now she, he's got an opportunity to have a market for that because for the biofuel piece, that stuff, we just, we grow it like hay and cut it and bale it up and it can sit over there and it could, you know, be under a shed for a year and a half to two years before we ever touch it and still have value to it, and you're still getting part of the dividend, no matter where those facilities are across the country. So we think it's kind of groovy. <clears throat> I mean, exciting is the understatement here. We are really talking about delivering here, and we're talking about transforming the planet on so many levels. Hemp is 
right on time here as all of these various energy consumers and gas consumers, et cetera, um, are getting to a place where they don't have any choice anymore, um, but to do something that is um, more protective and harmonious with with the planet's needs. And uh, under our new administration here, I think we're going to start getting real strict on carbon emissions. Um, Hopefully we will, uh, because Europe can't do it all by its darn self. Um, we were all breathing the same air and drinking the same water here, people. I tell you, Joy, you talk about this administration, though. We, we've all laughed about it, that we're all going to be Democrats during the day and we're going to be Republicans at night. So as long as, <laughs> as, long as, as long as they, you know, I think this administration will take this very, very seriously. And I think that we'll start to see things like, the California fuel standards and things like that expected around. And the the smart money uh, is already betting on renewables. And when you've got people like, you know, Larry Fink at, at BlackRock and others that are saying his letter to CEOs, it, it came out a couple of weeks ago. He's saying to CEOs, you better be thinking about sustainability and you better start investing in it because that's where it's going to be. So anyway, I'll be quiet. I know you want to stop. No, it's wonderful. Oh, my God. We could go all day. It is the most exciting thing. Nick and the whole team uh, at National Hemp Growers Cooperative. I just I can't wait to work with you more. I'm so excited for the farmers, so excited for the entrepreneurs, for the energy um, that you folks are are putting into this. Nick, I think it's just going to be amazing. You already are. Thank you for being. Thank you for doing. Hemp needs you so bad. And I cannot wait to have you back on the show, brother. Joy, I can't thank you enough for allowing us to be on and your enthusiasm for what we're doing. Your confirmation that we are headed down the right path means a great deal to us. And and thank you very much for having us here. And and hopefully uh, we will learn about other ways that we can continue to help the industry and other ways that we can specifically help growers. Thank you can't wait for it. Thank you back. We'll see you again soon, Nick. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, my name's Kate, and I'm your host of the Pop Moms podcast. I started the Pop Moms podcast Well, because I wanted to end the stigma against using cannabis, specifically with moms, but also anyone who chooses to consume. I strive for a balance of humor and education, along with some pretty rad guests, to help combat social biases that come with consuming cannabis. Kids are hard. Join me for regular podcast episodes packed with parenting hacks, real-life stories, and of course, my favorite cannabis products. The days are long, but the years are short. So roll another J and take a deep breath. Keep blazing and stay amazing.